Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel. And before we move into the sermon proper, we're going to recognize our mothers this morning. I was reading something the other day that talked about the value of moms. And Proverbs 31, which is one of those passages that often is used on Mother's Day, is one of those passages that talks about scripturally the value of mom. But somebody decided they would figure out at salary.com what a typical mom's salary should look like. And so they came up with the ten job functions that they think moms fill that include housekeeper, daycare center teacher, cook, laundry machine operator, computer operator, psychologist, facilities manager, van driver, chief executive officer, and janitor. And they figured up for a mom who works during the day, has a job, and then comes home as mom, a working mom's salary should be $68,000 more than a regular salary. For stay-at-home moms, they figured out that the salary should be about $116,805. If anyone would like to write that check to my stay-at-home mom, we would appreciate it. It is amazing what moms do for us, isn't it? Scripture teaches us that a good woman or a good wife or a good mother is hard to find. and It is worth far more than diamonds. And the truth is, those numbers show us the economic value of the jobs that they do, but they can never measure the spiritual impact that mothers have. And so this morning... We're going to recognize our moms, and we're going to do that in a very simple way. I'm going to have you stand, but we're going to do that in a, in a way that we're going to work from uh, kind of statures of momness. I don't know that momness is a word, but I made it up, all right? And we're going to kind of work backwards from statures of momness, and we're going to start. I'm going to ask if you're a great-grandmother here today, would you stand? I'm going to ask you to remain standing. I'm going to ask you to remain standing. If you're a grandmother here today, would you please stand? And if you are a mom here today, would you please stand? Now I want you to remain standing for just a moment. And we're going to have a time of prayer just for our moms. Just a time to thank God for what He has given us in them and to pray for the strength that they need to do what God's called them to do. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you're around someone that is standing, I'm going to ask you to think specifically of that person. If you're able to, maybe even to put your hand on them. Scripture teaches that in praying sometimes it is good to lay hands on. And so if you're around someone there that's a mom that's standing, if you can lay hands on, and we're just going to take a moment to pray for them. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, I thank You so much for the moms in this room. Lord, I thank You for my mom and what she meant to me in growing up and teaching me about Your Word. Lord, I thank You for my grandmothers and what they meant to me about teaching me about Your Word. And Lord, the testimony of us all is that we wouldn't know where we would be today without the ladies that are standing with us this morning. And so this morning, Lord, we give You thanks for the moms in our lives. Lord, we pray that You would give them strength to do all that You have called them to do. 
Lord, that, that list of ten things that, that that website had, that doesn't touch the surface of what they do in our homes and in our families. And so, Lord, today we pray that You would just give them strength. Lord, may we be a congregation that supports them. May we have children that follow their lead. And Lord, may we be a congregation that always looks to You in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you, moms, for what you do. 1 Samuel tells us the story of a great mom. And I know that you know that today is Mother's Day. You may or may not know the history of Mother's Day, but... In 1914, Congress passed a law that identified a day, some Sunday, of some sort as Mother's Day. But here's an interesting thing. The first Mother's Day is said to have been celebrated by a lady named Miss Anna Jarvis in 1908. And so if you do math real quickly, that means that it's been a hundred years, right? It is 2008 to 1908. A hundred years. And she thought it would be a great thing to honor her mom who had passed away. Believing that other people should do that, she began to lobby across the nation and started a nationwide campaign to get the whole country to be alerted to the need for a Mother's Day. And six years later, Congress affirmed that. In 1928, W.L. Caldwell wrote something in a paper about mother. and said, this is why we ought to celebrate Mother's Day. It says, may we pause to pay honor to her who after Jesus Christ is God's best gift to men, a mother. It was she who shared her life with us when as yet our members were unformed. Into the valley of the shadow of death she walked that we might have the light of life. In her arms was the garner of our food and the soft couch of our repose. There we nestled in the hour of pain. There was the playground of our infant glee. Those safe arms later became our refuge and our stronghold. It was she who taught our baby feet to go and lifted us up over the rough places. Her blessed hands plied the needle by day and by night to make our clothes. She put the book under our arm and started us off to school. But best of all, she taught our baby lips to lisp the name of Jesus and told us first the wondrous story of a Savior's love. Somebody in 1928 writing in words that still resound today. In the book of 1 Samuel, we see the picture of a great mom. What I want to do this morning is take those words and to look at them and to understand what makes a great mom. 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 2 tells the story of a lady named Hannah. A lady who was a person that tried to live for the Lord. And it tells us in verse 1 of chapter 1 that there was a certain man from Ramathin, a Zuphite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. Again, lots of good names for children in there. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peniah. Peniah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. 
And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival, interesting word for his other wife, kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. The first thing that I see in this passage of Scripture that we need to understand, and this is true for moms, this is true for dads, this is true for anybody, but in this passage specifically for those that are moms or wishing to be moms, is that all moms experience great difficulties. All moms experience great difficulties. Here's the story. The nation is in turmoil. At the end of the book of Judges, you have this description of a place that is just not really a good place to be. At the end of the book of Judges, which happens right before this time, it says about the people there that they did what was right in their own eyes. And so you have a nation in need of a leader. You have a nation that is kind of on its own without any direction whatsoever. And as God looks down on the midst of that nation, He is looking for someone that will be willing to bear the child who will lead this nation to be great again. And as He looks down, He looks over for the hearts of the people that are there, and there's this one lady there named Hannah. But Hannah would have been someone that would have never expected God to use her in a mighty way, specifically in the area of bearing a child, because she, as Scripture says, was barren. And it wasn't just that she was barren. Apparently, her husband's other wife was fertile and could have children and had lots of children. And as a result, the other wife would constantly nag her, constantly ridicule her, constantly talk to her about this pain that was in her heart, about this reality of who she was. And over and over and over again, Hannah would be reminded that she was unable to have a child. Year after year, this went on. You know, it's amazing in our country today, the number of couples that are experiencing the same thing that Hannah experienced. If you look at the statistics, the case of couples that are unable to have children is rising in our country. And the reality is that anytime you come to a mother's day, while there is certainly celebration that is happening in the hearts and lives of people that are moms or that have moms or that are, that are celebrating what their moms are. There's also in some people a deep hurt from the inability to have children. Now the reality is that Hannah had this problem before she became a mom, but all moms experience great difficulties. I can tell you one thing for certain about being a mother, even though I've never been a mother, don't plan on being a mother, is that being a mother is not easy. Amen? I've watched my wife grow in her motherhood and seen her deal with our children. And while it is a blessed, wonderful thing, it is a difficult task. And all mothers, whether it's they're trying to have a child, whether they have a young one, whether they have an, a teenager, um, which... I am not looking forward to necessarily. Whether they have grown children. It's interesting. I've, uh, I've shared this with a couple of groups around the church that when I was in Texas, the church that I was a part of, I was not serving on staff, but was just attending the church and working in Sunday school. The, the church there did a survey and they asked 
what they would like to have a sermon series on. And they get it for different age groups. And the number one request by the senior adults for the sermon series they wanted to hear was on parenting. Because the reality is you never stop being a mother. Many of you have asked and have been praying for Brian, and I greatly appreciate those prayers. And over the last three weeks now, we've had a very difficult time in, in walking through that process of seeing Brian uh, being sick, being ill, having good days and very bad days, and, and walking through that. And for those of you that are praying, it, uh, it is encouraging. Brian seems to be waking up and things are, are going better, and we appreciate all of that. But one of the most difficult things for me in watching all of this has been watching my mother. And I remember not long after all this, not in the first week all this was happening, and we had a really bad day on a Wednesday with Brian, and... Uh, didn't know what the future held. I was eating lunch with mom and she just looked at me and said, you're never supposed to see your son that way. I was reading this passage this morning and thought, you know, Hannah was really struggling, but all moms struggle. And maybe it's in big events like that. Maybe it's just in day-to-day things. There's an author named Nancy Orberg whose husband is a pastor out in California. and She says she remembers one day in particular, although she... It's not sure why, because it was just like almost every other day. At the time, she had a three-year-old son, a two-year-old child, and an infant. She said, I awoke to a fussy baby. He clung to me like a baby monkey hangs on to its mother and would not let me put him down. While Johnny was clinging to me, my toddler was wreaking havoc. She had this game she liked to play with the toilet paper. She would unwind it and do designs in every room of the house. While she did that, she would start taking all the books off the shelves and just tearing pages out of them. At the same time, my three-year-old was begging me to play Candyland. I hate Candyland. There was a mound of dirty laundry threatening to suffocate me. My husband walked out saying he had no clean underwear. There was no food in the house, and so I had to go to the grocery. At the grocery store, I had a baby clinging to me, a toddler in the grocery cart, and my other one running up and down the aisles. The grocery cart was so full, I had to kick the pad of diapers down the aisle as I walked. In the toilet paper section, I fought to hold back tears and to keep from running out. I just stood there and said, what am I doing with my life? Look at me. Back at home, I unloaded the grocery, fixing lunch while the ice cream melted. I took the kids to the park before rest time and... A park with three children is not fun. I just kept counting. One, two, three. I came with three. I've got to leave with three. (laughs) By the time I got home, it was rest time and I was a wreck. I hated myself. I hated my children. I hated my life. I put them in their rooms and shut the doors. Of course, none of them slept. I went into the garage and I cried. I don't know why. I just thought I was going to lose my mind. I knew that that day at 4 o'clock, everything in the house would look exactly like it did when my husband left at 7 that morning. I felt like I was becoming an impatient, frazzled, rude, angry, frustrated mom. Now the truth is, whether you've got infants at home, teenagers at home, or you're someone that is still working with your adult children, there are days when it's tough. 
And the reality is you can take those moments of difficulty and turn them into something good and great. Or you can take those days and let them drive you further into a spiral of despondency. In fact, if we will allow them, difficulties can do something for us that is quite amazing. First of all, difficulties can shatter our illusions. You know, we have this great, wonderful thing about what life is going to be like. It seems somehow when we think about being parents, when I thought about being a dad, the concept of really poopy diapers was never part of the concept, right? I mean, when that happens in our house, I'm not a one-wipe guy. I get five out at a time to go. Nobody mentioned to us that just to take your family out to eat at a normal restaurant, you're going to put down, well, now a half a tank of gas, because gas costs so much, but 40 to $50. You try to cut corners, we'll all share one meal. It doesn't matter. It's 40 to $50. It doesn't matter what you eat. We're going to get the kids two pieces of lettuce. It doesn't matter. And what happens is when we have difficulties, they shatter those illusions. And I'm sure with what happened with Hannah, when she married, when she had this husband and they loved each other, it's obvious the love they had for each other. It was obvious for Elkanah's love for her. He, she had this picture of what life would be like. And in the midst of not being able to have children, in the midst of not having those dreams fulfilled, suddenly her illusion is shattered. And here's the thing that really has to happen is that difficulties can drive us for good or for bad, but if we drive them for good, what they do is they show us our deep need for Him. They show us our deep need for the Lord. Look in verse 7 there. We, we just talked about it. I love how Hannah just keeps going up to the house of the Lord. Whenever Hannah went to the house of the Lord, she keeps going to Him. Verse 8 says, Elkanah, her husband, said, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? And what happens in this passage of Scripture is that Hannah continues to pray, continues to go. What she's doing is she's saying, listen, I realize that in the midst of my distress that I need the Lord. And let me tell you moms out there, let me tell your dads out there, that you can never do the task of parenting that God has called you to do without God's help. In fact, you cannot begin to do the task that God has called you to do as parents without God's help. Being a parent will stretch you in ways that you never expected. And all God's people said, Amen. And there are times when there is nothing else you can do but just say, God, I need you. When you don't know the answers to say, when you don't know the ways to discipline, when you don't know the words of encouragement to give, you just need Him. And so out of this reality that difficulties always come are three things that we see that great moms do. And the first is this. Great moms never Give up hope. Great moms never give up hope. Verse 9. 
Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now, Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord, and she made a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look up to your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. Verse 12. And as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. And Eli thought she might be drunk and said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. And she said, That's not so, my Lord. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or dear. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. She never gave up hope. Verse 17, Eli says, Go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked for. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Hannah, year after year, is reminded of the fact that she can't have a child, is reminded of the fact that she can't do what her rival can, that she can't give sons to her husband. And year after year, as frustrating as it is, she never gives up hope. Here's one of the characteristics of a great mom. She is relentlessly optimistic. Relentlessly optimistic. I was talking with the deacons on a Tuesday night. And we were talking about what God is doing in the midst of our church. How God is moving, how we see things beginning to happen. And we're excited about that. And I said, here's the thing. We serve a great and powerful and mighty God who wants to do great and powerful and mighty things in our midst. We serve a God who wants us to blow us away with what He's going to do in our midst. But part of the key to experiencing what God is doing is to remain relentlessly optimistic that God is going to do what He's capable of doing. To always be reminded of how great He is and to look forward to what He's going to do. To still believe even when it's difficult. The song that the youth choir sang this morning is an amazing song. It's got great lyrics, but the story behind it is even more amazing to me. One of the things that has always amazed me about Christian songs and Christian writing and songs to the Lord is that sometimes the greatest tragedies bring out the best in songwriters. I mean, if you know the story of It Is Well With My Soul, a man who lost his entire family. Some of you know the story of Precious Lord, Take My Hand, about a man who lost his wife. The song they sang this morning is a contemporary version of that. A man named Jeremy Camp. He's an up-and-coming songwriter. Got engaged to marry the girl of his dream. On their honeymoon, she got sick. And in the midst of that honeymoon, when she got sick, they came back to find out she had a terminal illness. And in the midst of walking through that illness with his wife and her eventually dying, he wrote a song that says, I still believe in your faithfulness. And what Hannah did year after year after year is said, no matter what the outside world thinks, no matter what my rival says, I still believe in your faithfulness, God. 
And she showed two ways that she still believed. First of all, she consistently prayed. She prayed continually. Over and over again, she just kept on praying. Now these are prayers of intensity. Verse 12 says she kept on praying to the Lord. In fact, she was praying in such a way that she was moving her mouth and not saying words. Now, you kind of chuckle when you read this because we think, why in the world would Eli think someone was drunk who was praying? Well, that only tells me that it wasn't that she was sitting quietly over there in the corner and just mouthing words gently. This was fervent prayer from the heart of someone who had been broken. And she was constantly praying for God to show up. Here's the second thing that she see about Hannah is that she trusted completely. She trusted completely. I love the, the, the last part of what I read there in verse 18. That when she and Eli had this conversation, she says, I'm not drunk, I'm just praying. And he says, go in peace, may God grant you this request. It says that she went away and ate something. She just continued her life. But I love this last part. Her face was no longer downcast. You see, one of the things that I believe is that she, in that moment, as she was praying fervently for the Lord to answer her prayer, is that she trusted completely that God would answer. Now, I am not one of those people that believes if you just believe hard enough, God will be required to fulfill your request. But I do believe that God requires of us complete trust. And I think her trust was that the smile on her face, the fact that she was no longer downcast, meant that no matter what happened, she was content. Philippians 4.13 is a famous passage of Scripture, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That, That verse has been misused over and over again as talking about football players in a huddle right before they go out into the game, yelling, I can do all things through Christ. It means I can run as fast as I can and knock that guy down. That there's some unscalable wall that I can just run and jump over. That's not what Paul intended. Although I believe in the complete power of God and miracles happening. This is what Paul intended there. He's just listed all the different places he's been. And he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I've learned to be content whether I have a lot or I don't have anything. I've learned to be content whether I'm at peace or whether I'm in conflict. I've learned to be content whether I'm safe or I'm in danger. The point is, and the point with Hannah is, she came to a point where she trusted God so much, it didn't matter what happened in her life. She believed in Him. She trusted completely. Here's a third thing. Great moms keep their promises. Here's where the story turns good for Hannah. Early the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and they went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah, his wife. The Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, which sounds like heard by God, because I asked the Lord for him. Now verse 21 says, that when man Elkanah went up with his family to offer the sacrifice, Hannah didn't go. She said, when the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. And Elkanah says, do whatever's best. Verse 24. 
After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with three-year-old bull, an ephap of flour, and skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, As surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. Hannah made a promise to the Lord. She made a vow to Him. She said, listen, Lord, if you will give me a child, I will turn him over to you completely. I will let you have this child. And then the amazing thing is, when God gives her a child, she turns the child over to God. Now, Scripture says that it's better not to make a vow than to make a vow to God and not keep it. I didn't learn that as a child. Because as a child, I would do things where I would make promises to God. For instance, if I lost something I was supposed to have, and my mom wanted to know where it was, I would pray, God, if you'll let me find whatever it was, I will never ask you for anything again in my life. When I happened to kick a ball through the window in my bedroom, and I tried to cover it up by just closing the blinds, I prayed, God, if you will not let my parents found out I kicked the ball through the bedroom window, then I will never ask you for anything again in my life. Needless to say, first of all, my parents found out. But even when whatever I was looking for I found, I didn't keep that vow I made to God. And the truth is, it's funny to think about that as a child, but in our own lives, sometimes we make promises and deals with God. He comes through, and we don't. One of the great things about Hannah here is that when God gives her a child, she says, He will be yours for the rest of His life. Now think about what it took for her. She has this child. It's this this boy that she has loved and longed for and looked for. And she has looked with anxiousness at this child and wanted him so badly. And as soon as he is given to her, as soon as he is weaned, she takes him and she gives him to the Lord literally. On your handout is a a passage of Scripture that comes uh, in chapter 2. If you don't, you can turn over there in your, your copy of God's Word, but it's on your handout there. And it's a little later in the life of Samuel in verse 18 of chapter 2. And I, I love what it tells about Hannah in this passage. It says, Hannah was ministering before the Lord. A boy, Samuel was ministering before the Lord. A boy wearing a linen ephod. Verse 19. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Here's the picture you have. As a mom, she knows she's supposed to give it to the Lord, but she loves Him so much, she continually takes care of Him. And I can imagine that every time she said goodbye to her son, it tore her heart apart. This afternoon, I'm leaving for Louisville for a couple of weeks. I've got school for two weeks, and as you can imagine, with all that has happened in our family in the last few weeks, it's a particularly difficult time as we're leaving. And I'll tell you, I just am leaving Susan and the boys for a week and a half. And in just a few hours, when I get in that car and head to Louisville, 
as I say my goodbyes, it will not be easy. Part of the reason it won't be easy is I remember last year coming home and the reception that I got from Susan and the boys as they came and had missed me. And I had missed them so much. And as I leave this afternoon, I'm leaving them for a week and a half. Hannah would come and leave her son for good. But she did it because she made a vow to the Lord. And great moms keep their promises. Here's the last thing. That when God shows up or when God is a part of their lives, great moms explode in worship. Look what happens at the end of chapter 1. He says, so I give him to the Lord for this whole life will be given over to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. Other translations say they worshipped the Lord there. But verse or chapter 2 starts with Hannah just giving a heart of praise to the Lord. She does one of the most difficult things in her life. She has given this child and she gives it back. But in verse 1 of chapter 2 it says, My heart rejoices in the Lord, and the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Over and over she exalts Him. She says great things about Him. She talks about who He is. That this child that she was wanting has been delivered. And one of the things that has to happen in the life of a great mom is that her children have to see her giving praise and glory to Jesus. We've been joking in our house a little bit over the last few weeks because our our boys, uh, especially Luke, picks up on everything that the other three of us do. I was laughing yesterday. Eli started doing jumping jacks, and Luke is not quite coordinated enough to do jumping jacks, but he sure tried as best he could to do jumping jacks. He ended up doing jumping jacks in front of him instead of over his head, and his legs didn't really, he just kind of jumped and clapped, but he tried. And in our car, when we're driving, and we don't have a video on in the back seat for the boys, we have praise and worship music playing. That's just what we listen to. And Susan was talking about recently she was driving and realized that there are two or three songs on that CD that particularly touch her heart. And in the midst of that, sometimes, even while driving, she'll she'll just kind of raise her hand or at a stoplight. And she was driving the other day, one of those songs came on the CD, And she looked in the back seat and Luke had his hand in the air. And this is what I thought. Isn't it amazing what they catch? I mean, we're learning all the time that our boys catch who we are. Now, there are times when we try to blame it on each other. Boy, he got that from you. There are times we try to take claim. Boy, he got that from me. But the truth is they get a lot from both of us. And the thing that I want my boys to get from me and the thing that I want them to get from their mother more than anything else is a heart that worships the Lord. Is a heart that is dedicated to Him, that sings praises to Him, and has freedom in who we are, that when a song moves us into relationship with Him in a way that is significant, that it's okay to raise our hands, it's okay to show that praise and worship to Him, and it's okay to declare your love for the Lord. My prayer is that when my boys are 18 years old and they're graduating and they're going out into the world, that they will be proclaiming that they will still believe because they have a personal relationship and a worshipful attitude toward our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
And if my wife and I don't pass anything else down to our children, my prayer is that we will pass down a love of worship for our Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus. There are a lot of good moms around. As I said a few weeks ago, there are a lot of good churches around. But my prayer for this church is that we will not be just a good church, but that we'll be a great church. And my prayer for the moms in this room is not that we'll just be good moms, that you'll just be good moms, but that we will have in this church great moms. And great moms are people, just like Hannah, that when things come up in their life, the difficulties will arise, that they never give up hope, that they keep their promises both to their families and to God, and that they always worship God for who He is. And so this morning, my my prayer for you as a mom is that you'll be great. My prayer for you as a dad is even though it's been a message focused on moms this morning, the principles are the same. And my prayer is that you will be a great dad. For some of you in this room, that may mean that you've never had a relationship with Jesus. You've never come to a place where you worship Him. Because of that, your children don't see that in your life. Perhaps it is that you haven't walked as you should with the Lord. And as a result of not walking as you should with the Lord, then people, your children, don't see you worshiping God like they should see you. And as a result, they're not living like they are. Let me tell you just something that I firmly believe and is important to us to understand. If your faith is not real, if it's not real to you, it won't matter to them. And the question I have for this morning is, for those of you that are parents or wanting to be parents, is it real? Do you live a faith that always hopes, that always keeps its promises, that always worships God in the midst of what we're doing?